Varum is relationships. Varum is you and me and everyone in America. What are you talking about? The room is different cookie cutter mm-hmm. from Hollywood. Yeah, man, you never know. People are very strange these days. What's going on? Welcome to the Room Minute, the podcast where we get obsessed with the cinematic classic, The Room, one minute at a time. You have no idea what kind of trouble you're in here, do you? Why are you so hysterical? We always wanted people actually talk about it. I did not hit her. It's not true. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. Oh, hi, Allison. Oh, hi, Rob. Oh, hi, listeners. We're here to talk about Minute 49, which used to be called Football Reminds Us We're Men after we heard about Mike's Underwears. But now I'd like to call it the minute where it is painfully obvious that the so-called original script is probably fake, which is so sad. So sad. I want to call it what men say when women aren't around. (laughs) And then I also want to call it purposely shoving someone with a football and then acting like you're concerned. Well, we'll get to that. Uh, There's, there's a, (laughs) The the injury moment is actually pretty good in the original script. I'm doing air quotes every time I say that now. But there's other parts in this scene in particular where I'm just like, this is someone making fun of the movie after the fact. Doing a really good job of it considering what has been in that script, but right. I, I just I just don't trust it anymore. Did did the original script what was it was it written on napkins or well, hi Brad. Um <laughs> From the way it's depicted in The Disaster Artist and the way Greg talks about it in the book, The Disaster Artist, there was a script that I think was around 60 pages. It was basically a stage script is the implication it gets. It was written like it was for the stage, even though in the movie The Disaster Artist, they suggest he was actively trying to write a film. It may have just been the only way he knew scripts worked because he'd been doing improv and wanted to do stage work and everything else. It It's just... And this is so much of what you could say about the room. Mm-hmm. Everything from the way the script is described and it, it just seems like 13, 14 year olds who want to be writers event and may eventually develop the skills. It feels like their first shot at doing it. Yeah. Right. You know, I, I wanted to be a writer when I got older. So, and I remember writing stories when I was that age. And I bet you wouldn't be able to distinguish the stuff I wrote then to this now. The difference is that was the learning part. You're supposed to write bad stuff first and eventually get better. Right. You don't produce your first script. Right. Exactly. And everything about this movie has that feel. Um, it's like, okay, this is sort of what people who don't know what this stuff looks like with or how this stuff is supposed to work would do it on part of the learning curve. But, uh, you know, and, and of course we know now that – Tommy did not get any better. Uh, no. Nope. If you watch, what was he it, got uh, worse? If you watch the neighbors, uh, and I, he was forty-eight, not fourteen. So <laughs> I don't know if that makes it sad or that's, uh, <laughs> makes it sad. <laughs> I had yeah, to do the math while you guys were talking. <laughs> well, it's it's you know watching the neighbors makes you appreciate there are things with the room that work. Oh yeah, and. That's- I've actually discovered even more breaking it down like this, how sec- sections of the room and certain actors, certain performances really work and the movie is trying to say something. It's just put together. So many parts of it just do not mesh and the camera choices and the set choices, some of the actual dialogue is just not ideal. Well, watching this first minute, 
I was like, oh, you know what? First off, everyone sort of has – is sort of photogenic. Mm-hmm. Even Tommy, as weird as he looks, he, he the camera does like him a bit. Yeah. He just doesn't know how to use what he has because um, as he sort of – it was sort of said in Disaster Artist uh, in the book, you know, he wanted to be Johnny Depp and he didn't want to be a bad guy because he – look at him. He would make a effective bad guy. Right. Um, and the other actress is the same way. Even Denny, as creepy as weird as he is, but it's a creepy and weird that works on camera. You could, yeah. you, know, you, could you could do some Steve Buscemi stuff with him. <laughs> well, the unfortunate thing with Tommy is he eventually did play a bad guy in Samurai Cop 2, and it is horrible because the movie is a sequel to a bad movie that got in following as a bad movie, and so they just embraced being stupid and silly and over the top, and it doesn't work. And he could have been a really good villain. Yeah, I think there's also, but he also still wants to be the leading man. True. Uh, he, he won't lean into that. You have to, if you're going to act or, or be in entertainment, you got to know your strengths. You can't force yourself to be Johnny Depp, Tom Cruise, Harrison Ford, you know, name your leading man actor. You got to know, it's, you know, Steve, going back, Steve Buscemi knows he's Steve Buscemi. Mm-hmm. So he plays weird sort of creepy guys and he's fantastic at it. It's when, when you have Joe Pesci trying to be a leading man, it's like, what are you doing? You're Joe Pesci. Just just be weird, small, and creepy, and loud. Yeah, he can only be a, Joe Pesci can only be a lead in, like, a comedy, and it's got to be the right kind of comedy. So, yeah, it's, uh, and also this movie isn't an eyesore. The, the, it looks good when you go back to The Neighbors. That movie hurt to look at. It was so bad. Well, this had a professional crew. I don't think The Neighbors did. Yeah, I don't think the neighbors did. And also, I mean, it's been well discussed how much money uh, they spent on the room. They had really quality equipment as well. Yeah. Embarrassingly, it was an well, embarrassment yeah, they, of riches. They bought equipment and had a contract along with that sale to use the studio at that location and got crew members in the deal. So they had a professional crew, not like top quality, but still professional who had done this before working at a location they were familiar with with good equipment so it was gonna look good it's not always framed well but it looks good and and that goes far i mean yeah listen i've seen a lot of kevin smith movies i can live through an ugly looking movie but <laughs> yeah but if this movie was ugly as well as as bad and as well as it was oh that be would have been painful. unwatchable mm-hmm. but uh, but i'm very excited i got an oh hi mark and i got weird football stuff <laughs> yeah that's what you it's, want. It's the movie in a nutshell. Like we've had a few scenes in a row where it was like, "This is everything that the movie is." And it's like a ten-minute segment here. I think it's been. It tells you everything you need to know. Now, I should explain why the original script is a problem here. We, this scene, of course, starts in the alley. Mike has just told his story about the underwear, underwears, and Denny has approached with a football. They start playing, and in the movie. Uh, Mike says no because he's got to go see Michelle in a little bit to make out with her. But in the script, Billy, that's Denny, in the, in the original, the quote-unquote original script, he is Lisa's gay younger brother, Billy. He says, what's the matter, Bran? That's Mike. Are you chicken? And we start with the chip, 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 you know, that they do later. Johnny joins in. And then it says, Mark arrives and joins the fun making. He starts jumping up and down, flapping his arms and kicking the air. Chip, chip, uh, brock, ka, ka, and then Johnny says, ha, ha, oh, hi, Mark. And we've had horrible lines from, like, like, Claudette's opinion of what prostitutes do was awful and so unrealistic. 
but it felt like something that maybe Tommy Wiseau would have written. This doesn't. <laughs> it feels like someone making fun of it, and I'm so sad because I love this script. Right. Because it, it feels like a first attempt at what became the thing, and now it, I, I now I want to know who wrote it. Because so much of it has been just off enough that it felt like it was the real thing. I don't know. <laughs> in the movie, of course, Mike joins in on the football. And notes from a big night screening. I, I will just get to it now because it's very simple. Notes from a midnight screening for this minute involve seven exchanges of mail bonding. Every time they pass the football from someone, you get one or the other. And it's mail bonding seven times back and forth it's, as they pass the ball. It's just, it's football. It, it, it's football played by people who've never seen the sport played. Yeah. And of course, Kenny's <laughs> like, I'm going to go out. I'm going to go long. And he walks three feet away. Mm-hmm. Well, they didn't have the, they couldn't pull the camera back that fast. It was two giant cameras hooked together. Oh, it was. It, and a very it, small fake alley set. Very small fake alley set. Nobody. And I, I guess Mark looks like he actually has maybe thrown a football before. Tommy's never even seen this damn thing. No, he just discovered football. He just discovered football. And also, you never, football isn't, I can't remember the last time I was invited to play catch with football. People don't do that. Occasionally, <laughs> at a family picnic or something, yeah. you would have the kids, like three kids, who's like, hey, who wants to play catch? And then they have like a, a, a mitt and a spare mitt in the trunk of their car. You'll see that at family picnics. But, you know, the, the whole football thing is just ridiculous. It, it's obviously something written by somebody who doesn't understand American culture or has like an idealized or this is something I've seen on TV thing. is like, well, we'll play the football. It's like, mm-hmm. uh, okay. No. Uh, you know what? Honestly, Hacky Sack would be more realistic with this group. <laughs> with the stoner and his weird older friend. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty sure I've seen that happen. And especially on the West Coast, this is – I'm, I'm going to just say that if, if I saw them playing Hacky Sack, it's like, yeah, okay. All right, uh, uh, it's still weird, but not weirdly trying to toss a football at each other. Uh, yeah, it's she just this does not happen. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even sure it needs to be in here at all. Them playing anything. It's that's why the the midnight screening thing calls it the male bonding moments. Is it's like this football is supposed to be symbolic of something, but we have to guess at what based on where it comes up in the movie. At best, it's something about like manhood. Or manliness, or American manliness specifically, because Tommy wanted to present himself as a very American guy. A very American guy, and the good guy. He's just yeah. the best guy. Oh yeah, we we regularly call him Johnny Good Guy. Like That's his last name, even. It's, everything he does is good for someone else. And it strikes me, and, and, and who knows, I, I'm definitely attributing things to Tommy that I probably shouldn't, but what the hell. <laughs> uh, it's It's a thing where... He, it strikes me as a guy who doesn't have male friends and really wants to have that group of guy friends, which is a little bit of a, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I, I think it's something that you have in your teens and your early 20s, and then everybody gets married, and the idea of you hanging out with your buddies and yeah. meeting up every weekend for the football, you know, to watch the the Bears play on TV, and then everybody goes out for a cash and a barbecue every weekend. I don't think that happens in real life as often as people think it does. No, and if it does, it turns into a very different thing than it used to be. Right, yeah. When you were young. And I think Tommy has 
it strikes me as like this ideal, and, and I'm not the first person to say like this is the world that Tommy wants people to see him in. Yeah, and I think that he's like, oh, I just wish I had all these friends that we would hang out every weekend and always coming to me and asking for advice. That doesn't happen. It's <laughs> something that happens very fleetingly when you're in your twenties before everyone gets married, and it turns out it's actually oh, it's the best time, and you have your best friends. I think for a lot of people, it's actually a sad time because it's nice for a little while and then very quickly gets tiresome. It's like, oh, okay, it's us having the same conversations, watching the same stupid football, playing catch, and we're all sort of like grasping onto each other because we're a little lonely and all of us are between girlfriends or sort of recovering from a bad breakup. Mm -hmm. Like I think the time that I had that was when I was like sort of post-breakup and was a little – you know, it, it was sort of a time I was like, well, I need to do something to distract myself from the fact that I feel kind of lonely right now. Yeah. To be fair, we have theorized that regardless of any of the actors' ages, the characters are all supposed to be, except for Claudette, between Denny being the youngest at about 18 and the rest of them being somewhere from 20 to 25 because – Mike specifically did have, he wasn't studying as he said, but he did have school books. Like, like they're supposed to be college students. And Lisa has a computer job, and so maybe she just graduated. And Tommy maybe is a little older than her. But then you look at the actors, and it doesn't come across that way, because so many of them are so much older than they're supposed to be playing. Yeah, it- Except for Lisa. Lisa is 21. Actually, she, at filming, I think she was about to turn 21. Yeah, but she was 21. If you would have said she was 27, 28, I would have believed her because mm-hmm. of, and not be, be and which is still very young and, uh, I have a lot of sympathy for the, the way Juliet was treated. Yeah. Post this movie. Uh, an attractive woman, but she carried, she carried herself with a bit of maturity. Oh yeah. So she didn't seem like, uh, I don't, she's not, I don't think she's naturally a wide-eyed ingenue. Mm-mm, no, no. She, she, well, she was originally cast as Michelle, and when they lost the original Lisa, she said, I want to audition for Lisa. Like, she wanted this once she knew how the movie was going, and she knew what she was getting into for the most part. Maybe not the specifics with, like, the sex scenes and everything else, but she knew it was a little low-budget movie that was ridiculous and went in. None of them knew what the whole script was because it didn't really exist. I mean, as you asked at the beginning, they were – most of the actors, according to Sandy Chaclair – the quote-unquote director, who's credited as a script supervisor, there was only three pages of script at a time, and he was the one piecing together a full script from that. Tommy disputes that, but then video evidence suggests otherwise. But the, and didn't Tommy say he, he didn't want anyone to sort of run off with his intellectual property? Mm-hmm. Yeah, God forbid this uh, make its way into Spielberg's hands, and Tommy not to get the credit for it. Yeah. Well, in a way, you have to sort of respect that because it would suck if Tommy also thought the material was bad and then makes a movie out of it. Like you can't write something and think it's bad and produce it. There's got that disconnect is unhealthy. I mean, something's wrong in your head where you wouldn't notice that. You either like what you wrote and you produce it, or you think it's the best you can do for now. Sure. And do better later, but I don't know. It, it, well, it, it goes back to the not understanding the process where, mm-hmm. like I said, I've done a little bit of writing and a real important part of anything that I write becoming good or readable or what, you know, 
is you need to have the outside view of it. And uh, I was like enough, gosh, it's been about a decade to put a book out. And I had a group of seven, eight people who I trusted their opinions and I needed to share that with them because if it was just me reading my own, just reading and reviewing and editing my own stuff. It would have been probably 60% as good as it was mm-hmm. without their feedback and being told what worked, what didn't work. Because when you read your own stuff uh, or review, whatever it is or listen to the music that you make or whatever your creative output is. Your podcast. <laughs> your podcast. Yes, exactly. When it's just you, you sort of fill in the blanks for what's missing or what doesn't work or what doesn't connect because you know what you're trying to do. Yeah. So – it's very important to have that outside uh, view of it. And, you know, Tommy believing that what he's writing is brilliant and then not having anyone to say, he's like, no, buddy, here's the, here's what doesn't work and here's how you can improve it. And here is what does work and start leaning into what you do well. Uh And Tommy, someone that we sort of already talked about, he has things that he could do well, but he won't listen to anybody. He wants to be Marlon Brando. Yeah. Uh, screaming Stella yep. in Streetcar Named Desire. Very much. That's not who he is. No. Uh, if you have him do with his looks and the way that the camera likes to look at him, have him be the brooding bad guy, uh, and use his intensity and that really interesting face that he has. Yeah. Don't scream. Use your intensity. But that's not what he wants to do. Yeah. There's even some moments in the film where he comes across like, you can feel like Johnny's an actual guy. It, but when he's trying too hard, we did the, you're tearing me apart, Lisa thing, just what, last week? You are tearing me apart, Lisa! It's too big and too much, and he, you can see he's going for something that he can't achieve. But along the way, it, it has its moments. He, he seems nice when he hugs Denny on the roof. He seems nice at the end of this scene when he like is asking Mike, "Do you need to like, go to a doctor or whatever?" There's something there. There's something there. I, honestly, the room was probably, and it probably would have been a lot less interesting, but it was probably one or two drafts away from being a real movie. Yeah, it's like okay, we got to make yeah. Tommy less perfect. We got to give Lisa some reasons for doing what she's doing. And we got to either get rid of some of these plot lines or, or give endings to these plot lines. Like a competent writer could have connected all those dots. Now, again, then it would probably just be a mediocre movie with a lead actor who shouldn't be a lead actor. But at least it would attract. Mm-hmm. And it, we probably wouldn't be doing this podcast right now. Right. Because it would just be some little indie movie no one paid much attention to. So the, the hook is how bad it is. Yeah. Mark read something that was, did have a beginning and an end, but I don't know where that is or what it is. Everyone else was getting a few pages at a time and had to figure out their characters as they're going, which must have been awful for some of them. I mean, Claudette is finding out her character has cancer. Is this going to be a major plot point? No. No. Could it have been? Yes, it could have been part of the reason that Lisa is rethinking her own life is looking at, like, her mother's mortality and how is that going to change everything. And then she's like, I'm with this guy that I'm not sure about. And maybe I shouldn't marry for money. What is What does my mother have? She's going to die, and she's had all this string of men she speaks ill about. I need something better. Well, it's it's also a thing where, as an actor, it, it, you feel really rudderless 
if you don't have that motivation, if you don't know where things are going. Mm-hmm. And they talked about it in Disaster Artist where the actors were just sort of wandering around. It's like, what am I doing? Where am I going? What's my point of this? And not being given that guidance. Yeah. And none of these people were – I think a lot of people have some innate ability. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, this is not a bad cast. No. And none, I mean none of them are bad. Some of them have so little to work with that they seem bad at first brush. But I mean Claudette is great. Michelle is great. Chris R. was fantastic. Denny, assuming stuff he's doing is on purpose, is good. Um, Yeah, and, and so – but they definitely are inexperienced, and they need guidance. Mm-hmm. And they they weren't being given it. And they also, I'm sure they weren't taking this real serious. They didn't know that we were going to be doing this podcast 10, 15 years later. No. No, they didn't no, know right. this was, like, going to be defining their careers. Right. They they were hoping they'd do this, it'd get them a gig on a slightly bigger movie, maybe a gig on a slightly bigger movie. Eventually, they'd become real actors in, in you know, mainstream films. And instead... For most of them, this, I mean, it's like their only movie, other than bit parts or parodies. Well, it, it's funny. Uh, Kevin Smith talked about that with Clerks, because it's pretty well known. He he financed Clerks on credit cards. Yeah. And he really thought, worst case scenario, or possibly even best case scenario, he would just have something where 10, 15 years later, Every Christmas they'd pop it in and he would show it to his kids like, hey, this is uh, this is what daddy did with his friends. Uh, yeah, I'm still paying this off. Yeah. And that's what it could have been for everyone else involved with it. And I have um, – I live about 45 minutes north of Baltimore. Baltimore was used for a lot of, uh, a lot of movie shoots. I know mm-hmm. they filmed the um, – one of the later Die Hards. They filmed uh, The Replacements with Keanu Reeves. And a lot of, uh, uh, what's his, uh, what's the uh, the guy who did, uh, John Waters. A lot of John Waters films. Are, mm, I think they're yeah. all filmed in Baltimore. And everybody has a friend who was an extra in a John Waters movie <laughs> or one of those films. And it's always fun because, especially when I was in my 20s doing a lot of community theater, we would all have a party. We would go to someone's apartment. They would pop it in and we would slowly watch. It's like, there I am holding up the dollar bill. It's like, okay, you're in the gay strip cl- club scene. It's like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> it's like, and we're all so happy for each other when we would, you know, when we they yeah. would have those scenes because it's fun. Yeah. And that's probably what everyone thought it was going to be. Right. Uh, you know, but there's poor Juliet who's like, okay, so I, I know I talked with, uh, Rick Harper. Yeah. Who directed a documentary. Yeah. Uh, Room Full of Spoon. That no one can see yet. Yeah. He, I, still. Yes. And he, like, did a count, like, how much of this movie is nude scenes. So there's poor Juliet, who, like, uh, some ridiculous, like, 6-7% of this movie is about her being naked. Mm-hmm. It's like, huh, okay. That's, this is what I did. And, and of course, then, the movie picks up this weird steam, and now we're still 20, you know, 15 years later, still talking about the poor girl. Right, and that scene just keeps getting seen over and over. Every Saturday, somewhere, there's drunk college students watching this movie. You know, and uh, hey, I even, like I said, I've done some community theater. I did some nude work. Yeah. Nobody's still talking about it, except for me when I bring it up on podcast. But uh, and, it, and is that footage out there? <sighs> <laughs> Here's the thing. I actually have a DVD of the show uh, somewhere. Which is scares me that I don't know exactly where it is in my house. <laughs> and I'm worried one of these days my kids are going to come and say, Hey, Dad, 
What's the blue room? It's like, oh, shoot, son, put that down. Trust me, you don't want to see it. <laughs> is it on video? <laughs> what often happens uh, when we do community <laughs> theater is they'll record, they'll videotape one of the performances. And they'll make copies for the cast members, just so it's something to have. Okay. Uh, and I still, and with that show, because uh, Blue Room, it was a pretty um, well-known show. It was on Broadway with Nicole Kidman, and it got a lot of press because oh, Nicole yeah, yeah. Kidman bared her rear end in it. It was a very adult show, but because it was very adult with a lot of sexual content, uh, we actually all had to sign a wa- uh, to, to sign a contract, basically saying we're giving you a copy of this tape. You cannot share it with anyone. You can't post it on the internet or anything like that. So there, there are uh, uh, like I don't know eight copies of it wandering about. As far as I know, I'm scared to look too hard for it online because <laughs> just in case. <laughs> Uh, aside from the fact just being embarrassed it's out there and also shame is like, wow, I was in much better shape, uh, 20 years ago. Well, it's good to know that the nude scene is when you're in good shape then. Yeah. yeah. You can like look back I on it. I definitely picked the right time for it. <laughs> just keep it away from the kids. <laughs> Not just your kids, all kids. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, true story. Sorry, going off the road. Um, I found the copy. I got it transferred to DVD, and I made a copy of the DVD for the woman that I did a scene with. Okay. And I mailed a copy of it to her because she lost her copy amongst the many moves. She said, it showed up in my house, and my six-year-old daughter saw the DVD, and she grabbed it. It's like, oh, I want to watch this, not knowing what it is. She just knew it was a new DVD that came in the mail. <laughs> and uh, m- m- my friend said to her, it's like, no, you don't want to watch it, and eventually the fact that it exists will terrify you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Nice. Now, we haven't actually talked about the more specific content of this minute other than football. I, ha- I have a couple notes, because there's some dialogue problems in this minute. I'm not sure the actors could hear each other, because in response to Denny saying... I'm not, sorry. Which, that's a whole weird implication in the dialogue that Denny was there for the underwear appearance when he wasn't actually in the room. Mike says, to I'm not sorry. And they just mumble their way through it. They don't know what they're saying. The lines don't make sense to them. Yeah, it's it's like they had the script and then were trying to recite it when they couldn't hear each other anyway. And that made it into the movie because no one checked or cared. But there is a great line where Denny says, I don't study like that. In response to Mike talking about being undressed, which is, it, when I heard that line, I'm like, that's really funny. He said he doesn't study without his underwear, or he doesn't study with a girl. I don't know which, or both. And Johnny says, he doesn't. I'm like, how does Johnny know how Denny studies? It's like all these weird dialogue in a scene that seems to be all about male bonding, <laughs> and there's like this... Like, homoerotic subtext going on. Well, this is another conversation that almost works. Like, say, one or two more drafts, because it sort of does work, the whole thing of Mark showing up mm-hmm. right after the conversation happens, and Dennis is like, okay, well, we got to throw. He's like, oh, yeah, but he's not wearing any underwear. He's like, what do you mean he's not wearing underwear? He's like, oh, that was the previous conversation. Mm-hmm. And sort of that weird, we've all had that thing where we show up to the conversation right after the in-joke, like, the fresh out of the oven in-joke just happened, and trying to catch up, and... I don't know if there's a way to make that entertaining. Yeah. But it is real. Like it's, yeah. This, it's almost a conversation. It's almost the real way human beings talk, but it needed two more rounds because, because Tommy doesn't know how to write dialogue. Right. And then he forces them to say exactly what's on the page. 
rather than them being able to like play with it a little and make it sound more real. It's it, and from what little I know of Tommy and what I've read about it, it does feel like they're trying to sort of mumble through the lines because they know it doesn't work. You almost have the feeling that they tried to sort of reword it to make it sound like human speak, and you mm-hmm. know they got yelled at for doing that. Yeah. Tommy believes this is brilliant, the whole thing where right. he released this in certain theaters for a period of time because he wanted Oscar consideration. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even this scene, if you listen to, like, just Denny's dialogue. I'm not, sorry. Studying, right? I don't study like that. Hey, what's up, Mark? Mark. Catch it. You're just telling us about an underwear issue. No, don't worry. Had. It's okay. You listen to just Mark's. Hey, Denny. What's hey, what's up, up Mark? Oh, oh hi, Mark. Catch- Underwear. Dude, it's it's underwear. Underwear. Underwear, man. Come on. It's okay if you just just mic. Yeah, sorry you had to see that. Oh, <laughs> don't break. Don't. It's embarrassing, man. I don't want to get into it. Underwear, man. It's okay, but when you combine them, the conversation makes no sense. Yeah, sorry you had to see that. I'm not sorry. You enjoyed it. Studying, right? Yeah. Well. <laughs> I don't study like that. Uh, he doesn't. <laughs> hey, Jenny. What's hey, what's up, up Mark? Oh, oh, hi, Mark. Catch it. Come on, Mark. Too much? What are you guys? Oh, he just telling us about an underwear issue. Dude, don't break. Don't. Underwear. Dude, it's, <laughs> underwear. It's, it's embarrassing, man. I don't want to get into it. Underwear, man. Come on. It's like the, the things are going past each other. And so it's like they're each trying and the movie's not letting them put it together. This is a movie that needs a remake. I want to see this movie made competently and played back to back. I've been talking about re-editing it mm. as a mm-hmm. like project when we get near the end of this. And that's harder because you can't add anything. It's just take stuff away and move things around. And I think it could be made a little better just by moving a few things around. Hey, they did it with passengers. <laughs> that's the thing. There's been bad movies that cost a lot more with a lot more talented people. So. Yes. Well... I think Passengers was an okay movie. It just had a, a horrible, it had a horrible plot. It, <laughs> it was well made. It was, Passengers was a movie that, sh- that was okay and it should have been really good. Yes. It, it was buzzy actors with an interesting plot line that looked great and it should have been the movie that took Jennifer Lawrence from everybody has a crush on her and she's won some awards and it should have made her Julia Roberts. Yeah. And same thing with Chris Pratt, where Chris Pratt was an actor who'd been in movies that would have been successful without him. Guardians of the Galaxy would have made money either way. Right. Uh, Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park's going to make him a billion dollars because it's Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. But he was liked in those movies. Mm-hmm. And that was going to be the movies like, oh, you know what? Chris Pratt can actually carry a movie. And it's, and because of, uh, really bad editing. Yeah. It, it, it sort of, Sort of took the wind out of both of their the sales of both of their careers. Not that they're all of a sudden doing, you know. Yeah, they're not doing badly. <laughs> yeah, they're not doing badly, but they. It it should have been the movie that put them at the top of the A list, and instead they're like A minus, mm-hmm. which is hey, is not a bad place to be. No, no, no. Which is it's better than me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not feeling bad for Chris Pratt. <laughs> Uh, and I, you know, cause I'm doing uh, dinner theater twice a month for 40 bucks in free beer. Right. So, you know, uh, yeah. 
And Chris yeah. Pratt's marrying into the Kennedy family, so he's doing pretty good. Right? Yeah, half Kennedy, half Schwarzenegger. It's, it's, it's a crazy world he's going into. It's good. <laughs> now, in the, in the quote-unquote original script, it does describe the injury better than the actual script does. Because the actual script, the one you can buy, is essentially was written after the fact, which is a weird thing. Because it includes stuff that we know was improvised on set, like the water bottle and stuff like that. Um, it says, Mark suddenly jumps to intercept a pass. He misses and lands with a heavy stomp on Bran's foot. Bran is Mike. Mark bends over to catch his balance, and the football bounces off Mark's back and into Bran's face. Bran loses his balance and falls backward into some trash cans. They all rush to his side. Which is far better detail than... Mark hits him in the stomach and he just lightly. Him. I mean, his, I mean, he, he, he doesn't he doesn't rear back yeah. to really d- drive it in there. There's no anger on his face, and you know, Mike's a stout fellow. He, he you know, uh huh. He, he looks like he should be able to take this, but again, it's not. They can't do anything. The the set is so tight. Yeah, they've got no space. Yeah. And by the way, speaking of someone who did uh, have a football injury from uh, a company picnic by playing football. <laughs> fractured a rib. I know how this crap happens. Yeah, I guess it's Mark's police training just means it doesn't look like much force, but there's a lot in <laughs> yeah. it. And you, you can tell the whole point of this well, and the idea should have been I, I, I guess the motivation should have been Mark has so much anger and weirdness being around uh, Johnny that he that like aggressive aggression shows up which does not is not conveyed at all by the performance. No. And it's another chance to show how Johnny's Johnny good guy, as you said. Right. That Yeah, that's why this scene is here. It's it's so Mike can tell the underwear story for some reason, as if it matters. And so Johnny can look good. If you need anything, call me anytime, all right? All right. All right. I was like, what? Uh, okay. It's like at the end of a scene in a play, you're like, the characters exit. And because it's a movie, they needed a reason for everyone to exit. So Mark injures Mike so that Mike and Mark can leave. That's it. Which they won't leave until next minute, but I mean that's the reason this injury happens. Basically, is so Johnny looks good and everyone can get out of the scene. Not realizing that it's a movie, you can just fade out. He didn't know that. Yeah, they could be playing, and then we like cut in the audio of the next scene over them having fun. But then where would Johnny get to look good? No, no, you're right. That's that's it. He gets a chance it. to another scene yeah. of uh, him telling everyone they can rely on him. Uh, you know, him being everyone's favorite customer, their best friend, the good guy. And for no reason yep. other than I think Tommy Wiseau wants everyone to like him. And to me, I couldn't tell if in the script it was supposed to be that it was on accident. Because I can't imagine, oh, okay, here's where you purposely shove him. But it looks, like, purposeful. It looks on purpose, yeah. But that's because in that space, I don't think Greg Sestero could figure out any other way to do it. Like swing the ball and hit him. You think they rehearsed it? <laughs> I had to like rewatch it because at first it looks like he hit him in the balls, <laughs> and then it looks like it was just above. Allison, that's a really good point. That would have worked so much better because that's the thing that it would have made sense him getting knocked down and needing to be helped up, and also mm-hmm. you could have that done where Mark is being a little careless. So even if he isn't being wildly aggressive, if you just if he just threw it and went a little low and he's being careless and sort of stupid and distracted, that would work instead of yeah. mm-hmm. sort of vaguely in the stomach of a with very little force. And it's just like a sort of 
Yeah. With the camera tight on yeah. everything. Allison, you should have directed this movie. There we go. You would have made it work. <laughs> <laughs> Brad, if the listeners would want to hear or more of your work, where could they do so? Uh, I am the uh, host and co-founder of the Cosmic Chippetto Podcast, of which uh, Mr. Black delightfully uh provided some excellent content on our most recent episode. Robert, I got to thank you so much. You you saved my bacon cuz we needed some uh, intelligent hollow uh Halloween scary <laughs> movie talk and you were uh, You're welcome. You were awesome. Um and what we're uh, the Cosmic Chipetto podcast, we are a positive geek culture podcast. We talk everything about movies, TV, music, uh comics, books, whatever you're into that's geeky. We like to talk about it and we like to talk about the stuff that we love. Um, so we recommend, uh, please give us a listen. We're on iTunes or, uh, all your favorite podcatchers and we're on Facebook as the Cosmic Geppetto listeners page where you can find out what we're doing and, uh, we, we encourage you to give us a listen. I am also the producer of Escape from New York Minute where we break down that, uh, that gem a minute by minute. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, Robert, you were, you were on there. I was. And, uh, Robert was awesome. Uh, so we recommend that check that out. Every now and then you can hear them yelling at me to shut up. Cause uh, as a producer, I'm not yep. allowed to talk. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, check it out. Uh, they're all on your favorite podcatcher. And guys, this has been great. I can't wait to keep talking. But it's not wrong when people make it fun of the project. In this case, the room. The Room Minute is a production of Lemming Drop Studio. You can find more content at lemmingdrops.com. Follow The Room Minute on all the obvious social media. If you've got any stupid comments after the show, you can leave them in your pocket on Facebook. If you like what you hear, throw us a rating and a review on your podcatcher of choice. Thank you for listening. And remember, if a lot of people loved each other, the world would be a better place to live. Leave us! <laughs> <laughs>